10 for $10 is back at Meijer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant frozen vegetables, or Meijer facial tissue. All 10 for $10, get the 11th free. Meijer is here to help you save more and spend less, and with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meijer app. Acts chapter 2 is where I'm going to be reading from this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're talking about the anointing. I'm going to read verses 36 through 39 out of the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 39. I was reading this passage of Scripture this morning in different translations. Um, It's very powerful. Of course, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and uh, subsequently what took place. How many know that Pentecost was an actual holiday where they celebrated the harvest, and the, the harvest of wheat? And so it, it spoke about harvest. And so on the day of Pentecost, what actually happened was there was a harvest. There was a harvest of souls. Many people came into the kingdom of God as a result of the Holy Spirit coming and Peter standing up and preaching the gospel. But here's one of the things. We could read this whole thing, but Peter talks about the importance of them understanding the reason why Jesus came into the world. Why did Jesus come? And he speaks about the fact that he came to forgive us, he came to deliver us. But the one thing that we often miss is that the New Testament actually fulfills what God spoke in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, in Isaiah, where he would send his son, he would send the Messiah, and the Messiah would come. He would not only forgive us and reconcile us with God in the sense that he would remove our transgressions, not just covering them, but he would, he would wash us clean. But ultimately, he would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see? This is paramount. This is important that we understand this. Every time you read the New Testament, you're going to see that he didn't just preach about repentance. He doesn't just preach about believing the gospel, but he also talks about the the blessing and the benefit of receiving the Holy Spirit. It's clear. You can't get around that. Okay? So let's pick it up in verse number 26 here of Acts 2, and we're going to read down, verse 36, sorry, down to verse... 38. Okay, Acts 2:36 through 38. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then listen to this. Then you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. So you will receive the gift when you are what? You repent of your sins and you're baptized. Okay, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, verse 39. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This is a promise. You will experience in the new covenant forgiveness. You will experience in the new covenant not just the covering 
of your sin, but the complete obliteration of your sin. But it doesn't stop there. In the new covenant, every single person experiences the blessing of the abiding presence of the person of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Isn't that awesome? And so when we look at this, we see very clearly the, the words that are used. You know, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both what? Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, Jesus, of course, is out of the Hebrew is Yeshua, and we get our English word Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers. He's the one who delivers. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will sozo his people from their sins, which means heal, deliver, make whole, rescue. So he will do that. So that name Jesus, we talked about that. But it also says that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, every one of us crucified him, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God made him Lord and Christ. Lord is the Greek word kurios. It literally means the supreme one, but it can also be used in a more common way like sir. But ultimately, Caesar was called kurios. Caesar is Lord. Caesar was king in that sense. And so when Jesus was announced as being the Lord, then ultimately there was a conflict with the Roman Empire, because only Caesar is king, only Caesar is Lord, and this is what resulted in many Christians being killed. But the Bible is clear that Jesus is Lord, okay? He's Lord. He's not only Lord, but he's what? King of kings and Lord of lords. So he is king of kings, which is the Greek basilus, and it literally means the ultimate ruler, but he is Lord as well. He's king of kings and lord of lords, meaning that every king, every ruler, every authority on the earth one day, as Paul says in Philippians, will bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the ultimate Lord. Wow. Every terrorist, every political leader, every monarch, every president, prime minister, governor, Every individual will one day bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus, Yeshua, is kurios. He's the ultimate king and the ultimate Lord. When the kingdoms of this world, according to Revelation 10, when Jesus comes back, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God and of Christ. It's amazing. The kingdom of God is the supreme kingdom. But he's also, we're called, not only is he to be king or Lord of our lives, but he's also Christ. Christos in the Greek language can be translated Messiah. The Messiah, what does that mean? Literally, it means the anointed one. The Messiah was the anointed one. And the idea is the one who was rubbed with oil the one who was smeared with oil. Jesus came as the ultimate anointed one, the ultimate one that was set apart for God's purpose. In the Old Testament, we see 
that the anointing was a religious act of consecrating someone to a sacred office, like a prophet, a priest, or a king. Kings were anointed by prophets, for example. We see rulers were anointed. And the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them and empower them and give them a special divine ability to execute and fulfill their calling, their administration. But in the New Testament, guess what, guys? Because our sins have been completely forgiven, the Bible says that every one of us has access to the anointing. Every one of us, because the anointing is what? It's the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. So when we say we're, when we recognize that we're anointed, we recognize that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. The Spirit of the Lord is even in us. If you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27, it says clear there's an anointing that abides in you. So it's not an anointing that comes upon us. He does come upon us, but there is also an anointing that abides in us. The Holy Spirit, the very word that speaks about Jesus said, you know, uh, he said John baptizes, or John said John baptizes, I baptize you with, in water under repentance, but one coming after me is mightier than I, said he, I'm not worthy to, to unlatch his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The word baptize, baptizo, in the Greek language means to immerse, to saturate. It literally means to permeate. It can be used of marinating meat. Okay, so the Holy Spirit actually infuses us. He, he permeates us. He saturates us. So it's not just like the Spirit comes upon us, like the Spirit of the Lord came upon a person in the Old Testament, that Holy Spirit is not only outside of us, upon us, but he's in us, he's through us, he's all over us. When Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, the Greek term that he used, more abundantly, literally means to pierce. And the idea is like, you know, when you take meat and you begin to, uh, you know, pierce the meat or you begin to pound the meat and then ultimately you, you marinate it, you put spices on it. So you want those spices to actually end up filling the meat and in, infusing the meat. That's the idea that the life that he has, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life, the life of God is actually something that is to be in us, all over us, round us, through piercing us. It's amazing. So it's not just like he's on the outside, he's inward, he's everywhere. Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christos, Christ, Christos, the anointed one, he is in you, the hope of glory. He's in you, the hope of glory. See, everything Jesus did when he was on the earth, all the miracles, he did as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in water, not because he sinned, he didn't need forgiveness, obviously, but ultimately, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed to be filled up, topped up, so to speak, with the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked in obedience. He knew that he could actually grieve the Holy Spirit by doing things that were contrary to the Father's will. 
And he said in John 8, 29, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that are pleasing to him. He's with me always. His presence, his anointing, his power is with me always, for I do always those things that please him. He guarded the anointing. He walked circumspectly. He realized that it was possible just like for us to grieve the Holy Spirit, but to stay full of the Holy Spirit, to stay in that place where his fullness is operating in our lives. And that anointing is prevalent and strong. Hebrews 1.9 says, you have anointed him. Speaking of Jesus, it says, with the oil of gladness more than his brethren. Why? Because you hated iniquity or sin and love righteousness. He was anointed with the oil of gladness more than his brothers, more than anyone else. In other words, why? Because he absolutely hated sin, but yet he was completely committed to righteousness. I only do those things that please my father. That's awesome. I know there's none of us in this room that can say, hey, I always do those things that please the father, but we can aspire. We can recognize that this is our calling to walk in a place where, as I said last week, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Father. See, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. The scripture says that he only said the things he heard his Father saying. He was completely submitted and subjected to the lordship of his Father, to the reign and the rule of his Father. And as a result of that, he was anointed. He was anointed with power. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Wow. The anointing, knowing Jesus as Lord will result in us experiencing his anointing in our lives, knowing him, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is to be both Lord and Christ. He is to be Lord, the one that you're submitted to, the one that you have completely uh, presented yourself as, as loyal subjects to, and ultimately you're going to know him as the anointed one, as the Christ. You see, what ends up happening is when he speaks this message to them, on the day and the day of Pentecost, and you know, he proclaims, Let all of it, the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What is the result? What is the, the natural consequence of this? Well, the natural consequence is that they were cut to the heart and they realized that what they had done, the evil, and so they asked him, What shall we do? What are we going to do? And he says, This is it. Repent, every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus. So repentance, being baptized, has to do with coming under his lordship. You see, I don't know where we get this notion in the contemporary church that Jesus can be your savior, not your lord. 
this dichotomy is false. There's nowhere in the scripture where Jesus is my savior, but I'm rebellious and I do whatever I want and I'm still saved. That is a lie. It's a doctrine of devils. There's no way. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Like, guys, we can't. We say, well, I'm saved because I said this little prayer. I went to church. I was baptized. I was christened or whatever. No, Jesus requires that we come under his lordship. He requires obedience. And it's not legalism. He saves us so we can obey him. But ultimately, we have to come to that place where we are submitted to him. And the more submitted we are to the Lord, the more we will experience his anointing and power in our lives. So many people are like, God, anoint me, anoint me, anoint me. And Jesus is saying, get close to me. Get intimate with me. Just come to a place where your life is surrendered to me fully. And you know who I am. And then out of that place, you're going to know the power the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your lives, which will make all the difference, all the difference, because you and I, we were created in Christ Jesus to walk in this anointing, to walk in this anointing. As I mentioned, this anointing is, is referenced several times in the New Testament. I want to just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 20 through 22. In 2 Corinthians 1, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Isn't that awesome? First of all, guys, let's just look at this for a moment. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Wow. I could preach this, do a series on this for 52 weeks. Hey, I'm waiting for God to do something. I'm waiting for God you know, to make good. I'm waiting for God. Since it's already been fulfilled in Christ. All. How many of God's promises? All. All right. All of God's promises have been what? Fulfilled in Christ. So we're not waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Does that make sense? So it's nothing, it's not like we're waiting for God. You see, the Bible is clear Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that says that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us. So even when we say, Lord, bless me, bless me, I get it. I know what we mean. But technically speaking, we're really not to pray that God would bless us because every promise has been fulfilled in Christ already. And as Ephesians 1, 3 says, he hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Hath is an old Elizabethan King James word. That means past tense. It's been done, right? And in 2 Peter 1.3 says, we have obtained everything pertaining to life and godliness. Again, it's past tense. When Jesus' final words were, it is finished. It's done. It's a done deal. There's nothing else that we need God to do for us. He's done everything that he said he would do. But we, as we're going to see, as we go through these verses, we appropriate these promises. Israel was given the promised land. 
God said, look at it. It's all yours. I have given it to you. That's what he said to Joshua. I have given it to you. He didn't say, I'm going to give it to you. He said, I have given it to you. It was a done deal. But then he said what? You need to go in and possess. Take possession. You need to occupy. So the idea here is that even though God has given us all these things, we need to occupy it. We need to possess his promises. So all of his promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It's like a symphony. What ends up happening is God's promises are yes in Christ, but yet we bring our amen to that promise. We, we couple it with that, and then what ends up happening is like a symphony that rises up to God. In fact, the very word amen, if you go back to the Hebrew language, the very word he, amen in Hebrew means that's right. That's right. Come on now. What I'm preaching, you say amen, you're saying that's right. Come on, you're saying say that. You're, you're like preach it. Okay? You, you see, that's right. Uh-huh. Come on. Uh-huh. That's right. Come on, preacher. That's right. Uh-huh. Okay? So you are actually agreeing and coming into acknowledgement with what God's word says. And guess what you're doing? You're declaring and decreeing it. The Bible teaches us that we need to declare and decree what God says. Okay? When you say amen, is that a thought or is that an articulation, a verbal articulation? It's a thought, yeah, absolutely. But it's more than a thought, right? You are absolutely uh, articulating something. You're saying amen. You know, I, I don't get this because, look, I, I believe in being relevant, culturally relevant. I totally get that. I believe in that. There are many churches that are stuck in the 50s, 60s, or whatever. But the point is, we cannot be culturally relevant if we're not acknowledging biblical truth. So when we turn around, like I've been to churches, honestly, where they say, we say, amen. And they're like, oh, man, you're all religious. You're religious. Like, don't say amen, because that's religious. Okay, well, whatever. The bottom line is I'm agreeing with what God says in his word. I'm saying that's right. I'm coming into a place where I acknowledge that it is true, and God's word is reliable and firm and secure. And I'm saying yes. But before we can say yes, do you know that, do you know that a lot of people teach Christians, okay? I'm just going to, this kind of gets into a bit of psychology, but it's, it's biblical. A lot of people, a lot of Christians teach, we just need to say the right things. If we say the right things then that's good. That's faith. But what if you saying the right thing with your mouth, but your life isn't lining up with what you're saying with your mouth, or you don't really even believe in your heart that it's true? The Bible doesn't say that if you profess or confess Jesus as Savior, you'll be saved. 
It says you've got to believe in your heart and then confess him as Lord and you'll be saved. So psychologists tell us that if you just confess something, if you just articulate something verbally, but deep down in your heart, you really don't know if it's true, it absolutely has a negative impact upon your psyche. Now, I get it. Sometimes we need to speak to our soul. Like David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, 1 and 2. Yes, we need to speak to our soul. Our spirit speaks the truth to our soul, our mind, our emotions. This is fact, soul. This is the way it is. Whether you feel like it's true or, or our circumstances are lined up or come into agreement with that, they may even contradict it in the natural. But this is fact, soul, that God is good all the time, that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, he'll provide all my need, he'll be my peace, he'll be my comforter, whatever I need him to be. This is fact, this is true, and we speak that. And there are times when we have to kind of bring our, you know, our mind has to, has to catch up with our spirit. But ultimately, we have to come to a place where deep down within, we are convinced. This is a conviction. This isn't just like a preference or, or a, you know, a, a, an ideology, but this is something that we are convinced. And how do we know or how do we become convinced of something? We see it as God's word. We read the scripture. We read the promises. And God says it to us. And we come into agreement because every promise has been fulfilled in Christ. So we need to get a word from God. There are times when we read the scripture, it's very apparent. It is God's will, very apparent for this, this, or that. But then there are times when we're like, well, what do I do? Where do I work? How, you know, where do I live? What do I do with my life? What's your, pro what's your plan? And there isn't a scripture verse that tells you, right? But you still need to hear from God. You need a word from God. What do I do in this situation? What do I do in this circumstance? We still got two hours, guys. Relax. <laughs> we started at 10 o'clock today, so. But seriously, we get a word from God, don't we? We get a word from God. We hear his word. We get a rhema word from God. What are you speaking? What are you saying? And then guess what happens? Out of that place, we begin to declare and decree the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? The anointing, the presence, the power, the very person of the Holy Spirit is in us, upon us, and he empowers us to be able to fulfill the very plan of God and to appropriate his promise in our lives. Let me go through this quickly. There are three things that the anointing guarantees for us as believers. Three functions, three elements, so to speak, of the anointing. All the promises of God are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Okay? Now, but it is God who what? Enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. Let's go to the next verse, please. Verse 22. 
He has commissioned us and he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he's promised. Listen, there's three things that the Holy Spirit does through the anointing. Through the anointing. He gives us the anointing so we can experience these three things in our lives. Number one, that we can be established in Christ. The New Living talks about being enabled, established in Christ. What does that mean? The word established literally means to make firm, make sure, to confirm, to confirm. All of God's promises are yes, and in him, amen. Every promise, there is a process. He places us in Christ, and he anoints us, and so that what happens is the promise of God is fulfilled in our lives. The anointing is the means by which God makes good on his promises. Did you hear that? That's deep. The anointing is the means by which God makes good on his promises. Now listen to me. There's a lot of us, we just expect God's going to do everything. It's not the way it works. We have to go back to knowing your identity in Christ, knowing who we are, what we were commissioned to do. Really, and we need to go back to the first chapter of Genesis to really understand this. But the point is, we were created, what? In his image and likeness, we were created to have fellowship with him, and he gave man dominion on the earth. What does that mean? Well, in Psalm 115, verse 16, it says this, the heaven... Even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he's given to the sons or the children of men. The earth he's given to us. So God isn't going to, if, if you look around and you see what's happening in our world, clearly people are making a mess out of a lot of things. Now we say, is that God? God has nothing to do with it. But there are some places in the world where things are getting much better. There are some countries in the world that have experienced and are experiencing transformation, guys, and things are much better there than where, what they used to be in the past. And I'm not saying that that always has a result of Christianity. Okay, so listen, here's, here's the thing, and I know we don't want to hear this, but the fact is one of the countries, a couple of countries in the world that have the highest crime rate also have the most amount of Christians, United States, South Africa. And some of the countries that have the least amount of crime have the least amount of Christians, like Japan. So there's, look, there's studies that have been done identifying DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth, Metroplex, as the place with the most amount of churches and Christians per capita in the United States, but also, according to a 2006 FBI study, was identified as having the highest overall crime rate in the United States. Why? Because we're not, being, we're not allowing the anointing to establish us. We have a form of godliness that denies the power. We're, we're just kind of saying, hey, God, make this place better. Make this a better place. Hey, God, do this, do that. But the Lord wants us to recognize that he's given us authority to bring change. Look at it. It's the anointing that causes us 
to see the fulfillment of God's promises, not just for our personal lives, but for what he wants to do even here on earth. Whether it's a four-course sit-down dinner or a line starts in the kitchen buffet, there's one thing you'll find at the center of it all. Swift Meats. Fresh, tender roast beef, succulent pork chops, mouth-watering steaks. For more than 160 years, Swift Pork and Beef delivers the flavor that brings everyone to the table. Discover new meal ideas at swiftmeats.com.